Hello and welcome to Caged In, the podcast where we try to find out if Nick Cage should be gone in 60 seconds or whether you want him to stick around. Is he the greatest actor of his or any generation? And this week I will be talking about USS Indianapolis Men of Courage, a World War II true story in which Nick Cage plays a naval captain. Uh, I'm joined by a a guest who you would have heard just a few weeks ago. Uh, Jamie Murphy of Sort of Ghostly is on the podcast today, and it was a fantastic conversation. And uh, yeah, I think you're going to enjoy it, enjoy it a lot. Um, If you are... Yeah, if you haven't, I probably always say this, uh, that there's spoilers throughout this episode. Obviously, we spoil the film. We talk about all aspects of it. Uh, it's also a, a, a true a true life thing that happens. So you may know the history. Uh, and obviously, it's, it's ruined for you anyway. But it's a bit of entertainment. But if you don't know anything about it and don't want any spoilers, Pause the podcast right now and go watch the film. And if you are in the UK, unfortunately, this one is not on streaming services that I know of. I may be wrong. If I am, please get in touch and let me know. Uh, If you are in the US, on the other hand, you are in luck because this film is currently on Netflix. Everybody's got Netflix. So you can watch it. Perfect. Well, uh, hopefully you've either rejoined us from watching the film or you're just going straight through because because you're a badass. You don't uh, you don't have to you don't have to take any you don't have to hide from anyone. You do what you want when you want. You're like Arnold Schwarzenegger with his stogies. <laughs> if you haven't seen that clip, that means nothing. Uh please uh youtube uh yeah arnold schwarzenegger stogies and it is a fantastic clip but that is besides the point because obviously here we are to talk about nick cage and men of courage uh i will let you listen to the episode and i'll join you at the end for a little chat about all the regular housekeeping and what is coming up next week This week, I'm here to talk about semen. Lots and lots of semen. I'm obviously talking about Mario Van Peebles' 2016 film, USS Indianapolis Men of Courage. Nicolas Cage stars as Charles McVeigh, the captain of a US Navy ship that's, that sunk, and then things get really worse. Somewhere, the scripts for Titanic, Jaws, and Pearl Harbor ended up in the Brundle teleportation machine and spat this out. This week, it was only right to get a guest who is accustomed to sea travel. So, of course, I got the host of Sort of Ghostly, (laughs) Amy Murphy. How are you? Hey! Yeah, yeah, really, really good. Great, great. I've been at work, and now I'm not at work, and now I'm here. And it's much like this film, you know? I've been working hard, swabbing decks. I've been through 
uh, transformative experience in a salt <laughs> in a salty situation, and now I'm coming out to face the the strong arm of the law. So we should probably clarify that the 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 reason as to why you are so accustomed to the sea, and that is nothing to do with <laughs> the fact that that you are a sailor by trade. Uh, <laughs> it just happens to be that you're from the Isle of Wight, right? That that is correct. Yeah, I've grown up surrounded by the ocean and therefore ter- terrified of it. So yeah, well, it's, it's an odd choice that you then moved to Brighton, which again is right by the ocean. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Uh, I haven't really sort of reconciled that with myself because growing up, I wasn't a very, hey, let's go down to the beach and try out the new boogie boards, man, kind of guy. I was like, no, mum, I've just got Smackdown too and I'm going to waste my summer fucking playing it because I read somewhere online that if you complete it 60 times in a row, Rikishi turns purple and comes down the Titantron smoking a blunt. But in spite of that, (laughs) <laughs> I have moved to another seaside town. So a bit of like, yeah, the, I'm, I'm a layman when it comes to the Isle of Wight. So like watching films on the Isle of Wight, do, is, is there a cinema? And if so, is it a good cinema? There is more than one cinema. I will say, I won't say much about the Isle of Wight, but I will, I will proudly boast of at least three, two. There's probably a third now that people are like listening and like, well, someone's not been to the Isle of Wight. <laughs> recently um but yeah there was more when i was younger and you know but then i could apply that statement to most of the things on the isle of Wight. yeah much yeah, like yeah, mu- it's all it's all it's all in the past now and it's just all crumbled <laughs> much like much like the isle of Wight itself it's it's fallen into the ocean perfect so before we get into talking about uh, Men of Courage, I guess yeah. it's more snappy title. Uh, yeah. Are you a Nick Cage fan? I am not a Nick Cage fan. Is this is this a, like you detest him or just kind of? Like... No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not strongly against him. I like. I, I'm intrigued by Nick Cage. That's the thing. And I feel like Nick Cage is one of those people where I don't know. I don't. Maybe some people detest him, but I, I kind of get the impression that like you either love him for his idiosyncrasies and his sort of determination to just carve out Nick Cage into the world and totally succeed, or yeah, I don't know anyone who's like offended by his existence. I'm sure I'm sure they exist, but I think there's probably more to enjoy about Nick Cage than there is to complain about. And I I haven't. I haven't watched a lot of Nick Cage films. Like I've, uh, I've, I've, I've seen a few. Like growing up, I've seen, I've seen like, uh, like a few as a kid. I think I was, I was, I was trying to think of the first one, but he's like, he's like music well, and well, culture. He, he, he just appears, doesn't he? And then you just, re- you just realise that he's around you. Well, yeah, I asked this question, but like. Like yeah, obviously I ask people like, uh, what was the first Nick Cage film they saw, and I I'm like I'm so glad I'm asking this question because like if I had to answer it I could I couldn't answer it because for me it's like he's just always he's always been there. Do you know what I mean? I, I, whether it's yeah. like I, I caught glimpses of seeing, um, I don't know Face Off on TV when I was young or I can't remember what the first film was that I like. Yeah, sat down and went. You know what? I'm gonna watch a Nick Cage film, or I don't know. Like, yeah, it's. I don't. 
I, I never had like um, a real cage awakening, you know, but I can't, he's kind of like the, the death of Santa Claus. You know, I can remember believing in Santa Claus and I can remember being like, Santa Claus isn't real. But I don't remember the first time when that idea entered my head. And um, I remember being young and innocent. And it might have been about the same time. Young and innocent, believing in Santa Claus. Nick Cage, what's that? Who's he? That's what should we do? And then the next thing I know, I'm in maybe year four. I'm quite cocky. Maybe I'd seen a Nick Cage film and was like, there's more to the world than this. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. You know. You would have and seen just, like the Con Air and just been, you know what? I'm going uh, to wear a vest. I'm going <laughs> to... I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Get aboard a plane full of criminals and get off this deadbeat island and, and make something <laughs> and make sure bunnies are staying in their boxes, baby. Yeah, and I don't know. I I think <laughs> I it's Nick Cage isn't somebody who, who I can remember. Like Mike Myers, I think I think I can very specifically watch like remember watching uh, like Wayne's World or something, but. But he was kind of just like, he came and went. I remember like being a king, be like, this is great. And then that's it. But I remember getting in, like knowing that Cage existed and then being like, oh, wait, there's more to this. I remember kind of like looking a bit deeper and getting intrigued by him as an actor um, rather than just, oh, he's Nick Cage. He's in those films I saw as a kid. And like, go on in 60 seconds. You know, I didn't, I didn't realise what I was watching at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was only, I think it must have been, maybe watching some YouTube videos or I think it was watching Raising Arizona actually when I was probably like 20 and having seen a bunch of Nick Cage films when I was younger and then watching that and being like, oh, there's so much more going on. Like he's not just an actor. <laughs> yeah, I, I find that crazy because like he made Raising Arizona, Vampire's Kiss and Moonstruck. They were all like filmed like, uh, 86, 87 mm. and he would have been like 23, 24 when like, he, oh, he made whoa. those three films alone and I think it's something that a lot of people forget about Nick Cage is like, yeah, because he's like done so much, people have this assumption that he's like ancient or he is this kind of like yeah, being that has always I don't know, always been there like some kind of like vampire yeah like dracula or something but he like he did those films when he was that age i don't know it's like that kind of crazy thing when uh a weird comparison but like when people go like you know like jesus died when he was 33 like what have you achieved <laughs> with your life or like or like people slate nicholas cage for, like vampire yeah. and it's like well when you look at it in the context of the age he was it's like Mm. he actually pulled something out of the bag with that movie that may be because i'm a massive uh vampire's kiss like apologist and i, I think it's a uh a work of genius on, on the yeah movies. but uh yeah and and i know what you mean about the youtube videos as well and i think to your point earlier about like people hating him i think there mm. is that thing that it's not so much hate it's people see him as a joke and i think that is very yeah that is down to there's like a very specific uh, clip on YouTube, which is Nicolas Cage loses his shit, which is like um, set to the uh, Requiem for a Dream score. You know, 
Yeah. It's just all these clips of every time he's kind of freaked out in a movie. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that that's kind of like I don't know, he was like kind of pre meme. He he was being like memed then, like Yeah, yeah. And yeah, Vampire's Kiss, I think, is like one of the like used as like reactionary gifts like left mm. right every, every corner of the internet you'll kind of see that that like gurning chin out face <laughs> yeah, yeah. like from that movie. yeah it's, it's a it's a yeah it's an interesting i don't know in, he's an interesting character i guess that's yeah why, that's why we're I'm, here. I'm i'm definitely impressed by how young he was when he did that and also that he did them all in in one year it's like uh when i not a not a, a you know one of my favorite actors, but like Jim Carrey, I think he did like lie 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 <laughs> just for two, uh, like the mask and Ace Ventura in like one year, yeah. And you're like, oh shit, no, because that was like that was my childhood for, for, for that was five years of my childhood. No, it was just one year. Um, and like the Beatles' first few albums, they probably you know. They probably recorded them at gunpoint, but I think they came out like first three, four albums, first two years. Yeah, just oh, this yeah. sort of some of these just genius artists who are just are just amazing out the gate, and yeah, well, just I, I think there's something to be said about that. You know, some people have to work towards something, and some people just kind of just, yeah, they just kind of come out the gate with it, don't they? Well, yeah, kind of Nick Cage, kind of like. Uh... I don't know, he like jumped the fence into just being like, I'm doing interesting films. He didn't really have that like yeah. awkward Leonardo DiCaprio stage where he's doing like kind of like, I don't know, like teen films or like kind of don't know where he's going and kind of over time has mm. built up to being this like kind of like, I will only do Oscar worthy films. Like, yeah. Like Nick Cage is like, even now, like he could, he could, he could have got to that. Well, he got to that point again pretty early in his career mm. he would have only been he would have been like 28 29 when he won an oscar for leaving las vegas but mm. um he yeah he could have carried on down that trajectory but seems to always do weird and interesting things whether it's like go from an oscar winner to you know what i'm gonna now become like a unconventional action star by doing <laughs> The Rock, Conair, and Face Off, or like that, just his career peaking yeah. all, all, all over the map. Um, but yeah, we could talk about this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could. But what is your, <laughs> your favourite Nicolas Cage film? I think it has to be Raising Arizona. What, what is it specifically about that like performance? Is it him? Like the film? I think. I think it's because it was the first time I ever watched it for him i think you know uh, it, it must have been action action hero nick cage is kind of what i got used to existing growing up and then that was the first time when i i just saw his acting and saw him in, in a film and really appreciated what he was bringing to the film and it's it's a fun film like it's a great film you know you can't there's there's, there's so much more going on with just him in it mm-hmm. but it's the first time when i yeah i kind of had a bit of appreciation for him as an actor, as opposed to just he fulfills this role in these films and that's the way Hollywood works. Well, it's almost um, like a, a pre Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey performance. 
Yeah. Like that kind of like you could easily see in the nineties Jim Carrey like playing that that character of High McDonough, that kind of like animated off the wall guy and like Yeah. The way, the way Cage plays it and uh he's he's very specific he was very specific about certain details. Like yeah, hair, he wanted to be like um a cartoon character basically. That's how he right. play the role. Uh, and I think like his watch he's, or a tattoo, he's got like a Woody Woodpecker tattoo, and it, that's his kind of like tip of the hat to like what he's doing. Oh, right. So he's trying to be, you know, Looney Tunes. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think it's because, yeah, it is, it is such an exaggerated character. And it was just, it was just great to see, to see that and not expect it as well. Because I think because of what I'd got used to, I wasn't expecting to see that performance and then when you do you kind of realize there's a bit more freedom in what you can do and what you can do even within you know it's not necessarily the most slapstick film ever but it's like he treads a line i mean sometimes he steps over it but like (laughs) at least he makes you aware of the line you know and it's yeah yeah that 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 for sure uh, no, no, no. That's a, that's that's a perfect answer. So let's talk about men of courage. Japs blew the crap out of us in Pearl Harbor. Fire! So what now? Ready to get out there again, Captain? Yes, sir. I heard the news. Boy, right? Can't wait to meet him. He's nine pounds of romping, stomping dynamite. The Japanese are an extremely disciplined. President Truman has chosen you and your crew to lead a highly classified mission. You could save millions of American lives. I am your captain. You are my crew. And our survival is contingent upon functioning as one unit. Yes, sir! Our hero ship delivered the bomb in record time. There's something in the water. Submarine, sir. They might still be out there. Let's go! You think it's just luck? and live and die. God help all of us when we face an enemy like that. We need you back. I'm not leaving you. So, I'm assuming this was your first time watching this film. Yes, and I didn't do I, I, I selected it because I thought it looked great in in the uniform, and that was basically it. Um, I didn't know that it was based on a true story. I didn't, I didn't like know what I was going into until I got into it. If you know what I mean, and I'm so glad that that is 
<laughs> but that, that that's how I experienced it because I didn't know where it was going, and I was just like trying to track all these possible avenues it it could be going down. But well, then, um, yeah. Well, one of the things for me is like and like it gets to a certain point in this, and we'll get to we'll get to it. It's like <laughs> that like stuff keeps happening after a point when you've gone oh no this is where the film ends surely (laughs) and it it, it just it's like i looked at the kind of like as i i I, like looked like what is the running time of this like two hours five and i was like oh we've got half hour left i was like well no this is this is the end of the film right yeah yeah i i don't know it it weirdly feels like they've like nicked bits from other films like 100 percent. like um yeah and it's i I give a bit of background to to you guys listening if if you haven't watched it uh so this is based on yeah the true life uh secret mission that the yeah indianapolis was sent on to deliver the atom bomb to Mm. that, that got used like on um where was it uh it was it it was part of little boy the atomic bomb that yeah that was used to destroy hiroshima and at the time it had uh half of the world's supply of enriched uranium on that ship and like so imagine if they'd blown it up (laughs) before (laughs) i mean i think i think nuclear bombs are a bit more complicated than just throwing a torpedo at them but could have been worse Yep. Well, like the well, there's a very like this film starts like out the gate. Like I was, I was, I was kind of like clutching my head because we just get this like CGI fest at the beginning of this. Kind yeah, of, like, it's like the exteriors of the ships, explosions, mm. and, like these kamikaze pilots, and like, I is it meant to be? Pearl Harbor no because it's Okinawa at the beginning isn't it it's kind of like yeah. this nothing scene really that it's like mm. well, I, don't, I don't know what is this trying to establish it doesn't really establish anyone like we could have just jumped straight to this kind of like exposition bomb we get with like these like you, you know there's something dodgy going on because a load of guys in a darkened room talk- yeah talking talking about like this this mission they've got and kind of telling us exactly what like the what it is do you know what I mean like oh we're gonna we're, mm. gonna, we're gonna blow up Hiroshima and it's like and like they they really like let you know as well it's like well that will kill every man woman and child in the area and don't forget about the 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 radiation problems afterwards and it's sort of like okay yeah we we get it we 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 live we live in the twenty first century. We know how bad that was and the like, interesting <laughs> effects of it. Now it's kind of like you didn't, yeah. to, you didn't have to like spell it out so much. If anything, a bit of ignorance on the you know after effects of it would have been a little bit more believable, mm-hmm. rather than just being like, yeah, can't believe we're about to do this horrible thing that we did or we're doing. You know, it's it's it almost like two worlds, wasn't it? Where it was a little bit too self aware about the repercussions no the, the direct the direct results of what of what they're doing but yeah like that that whole first scene it yeah it, it doesn't need to exist just start table story intro it's like they had 
more time to film because I didn't because the film was like probably a little bit longer than it needed to be but they were just showing off how little time they were going to spend on their CGI like, I feel like they could have put but <laughs> the budget they spent on the CGI at the beginning just like put it on a bit more <laughs> the actual yeah. necessary CGI because I was watching it and it was like doing these shots where flying over boats and they just like haven't finished loads of the texture on the boats. It's like, it's like a PS2 game. <laughs> that, that is that my exact note. Yeah. There is a scene specifically like when we get like, when they go, when they're first like setting out on the Indianapolis and we get this, yeah. like kind of, it's supposed to be like a, a wow shot. Do you know what I mean? It's supposed mm. to be like that shot in Titanic when you're first shown the Titanic and like, I remember first seeing that and being like, and even watching it like mm. now, like now, and I think I in the early two, uh, I don't know, like two thousand and fourteen or something. I saw like a like a IMAX remaster of uh, Titanic, and being yeah, like, when you first see that ship, you're like, whoa! Do you know what I mean? Eve, and yeah, yeah. I mean, that was made in ninety seven, and like right, even the kind of like graphics on that were like wow i'm impressed by that ship whereas this i was mm. like oh boy like it's, <laughs> it's clunky isn't it it's like yeah i feel like they should have done more to cover it up or just distract you from it you know like they should have been well it's really interesting because they actually like filmed stuff on a real like on a real vessel right okay which like doesn't yes yeah, uh yeah which doesn't doesn't make sense to me the why they didn't just film that yeah yeah cuz it's probably easier right i i, I don't know how much they spend on cgi not not enough but you know you you you've got a budget and you've got a, you've got to get a big enough carrot to get nick on board anyway so i understand that that's probably not not much left over for cgi but um, yeah, like you could just do it on a boat. <laughs> they exist. <laughs> well, yeah, because it was actually filmed. Like the the stuff inside the boat. Is yeah, the USS Alabama and all that oh. stuff looks great. Like yeah, oh, it does. Like like some of this. That's what that I think. That's what lets this film down. Is some of it looks like beautiful. Do you know what I mean when when we kind of get yeah. this, like. We get this scene at the beginning where we're like introduced to all the characters and they're kind of like inside this big like uh, banquet hall and stuff like that or like a yeah. burlesque club and they're out on the they're out on the streets like it looks kind of looks like uh, New Orleans or something like that like kind of like mm. that all that stuff looks great and like uh, there's a great moment where the like uh, end like the the, the engine operator is like doing this speech all about sharks and like the camera is kind of like weaving in and out of like the engine room and stuff like that and it's like mm. that looks like great tactile filmmaking yeah where it's like oh th this is great and then like you get these moments where the cgi is just like do you know what i mean like mm. a, a big old shit on your on, yeah on the the viewers parade do you know what i mean it's like I hurts your eyes to see those moments it's such a stark contrast though isn't it is you know on on one hand you've got men in uniforms in a boat which looks a lot like in real life when men are in uniforms on a boat and then you've got like 
explosions, a bow, and it's capsizing, and it's just you're not that none of that is real. So there's no, it's just there's no sort of gradual transition to it. It's just you can, it's literally like going from just a boring documentary of people on a boat to a cut scene in a computer game that you've played when you were 12. Yeah, well, it's, it's really weird as well. Like, one of the things that like storytelling-wise this film, uh, like, does as well, that it's, like, uh, really, yeah, like, really interesting. It's just this whole thing of, like, the foreshadowing for what is going to mm. happen. Like, spe- like, especially, like, I don't know, be interested as someone who doesn't, didn't know what, like, what, what was going to happen is... Obviously, you get this speech from Tom Sizemore's character, uh, McWhorter, yeah. all, all about sharks. We kind of get this like existential speech from Nicolas Cage, where he's like, uh, like, we'll always be at war like until we kill our own species, which is just like, yeah. a, a weird speech. Probably doesn't like do much of the foreshadowing. But when they deliver the like payload they've got to deliver, we get this shot where it's like, cage framed in a shark's jaw mm. so like when hearing that speech and seeing that shot if you picked up on it did you know that sharks were coming at that point or was it a surprise for <laughs> you when they came the problem was i was watching it with my girlfriend lizzie and she was like i've heard about this boat because she loves sharks so uh, and I was like, I don't really know what this is about. I was like, I was like, I think this is just going to be a kind of just like action war film with Nick Cage. And I was like, okay, this is great. I've got time for that. This would be, this would be nice. Yeah. Almost, tra- almost tranquil. It's just going to move forwards. And and then she was like, oh no, no, no. And she started reading the Wikipedia as <laughs> <And> so I was <laughs> watching the film. So I had this like, she wasn't telling me all of it. She's like, yeah, it's the one where they all get eaten by sharks. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, this is not the film that I'm watching and it was just at that time and then I think there's a shot of um, like the, the, the shark's jaw it's, yeah. it's hanging up somewhere after they start talking about what sharks are out of it oh it's because he's, he's uh, bleeding or something like that I, I, I can't remember how it oh swimming that's it because yeah. uh, one of them can't swim he's like oh this, this ship's 13 years old you know if you, if you hit the water you know the sharks are going to eat you and stuff and then it, yeah it, it comes up and you've got the, the, like the shark's jaw Ah, uh, okay, that's it. Well, like, and it's the thing, like, with the characters as well, like, it's really bad. I don't know a lot of the characters' names in this because it's kind of like you're just thrown into, like, these are the people, and it's kind of like you've got, like, pretty boy uh, slick back hair. You've got, yeah. like, two guys fighting in the alley. You've got, like, a, a black guy and a white guy. Uh, you've, like... Everyone just kind of like blurs into you got you got a couple of guys with glasses on and I'm like which ones which you got like I've had like, two people with glasses on. Yeah, there's one guy who's like the bookie who's like like you, he, yeah he he doesn't get introduced in any other way apart from like when the fight breaks out all of a sudden he's got like a pad and it a takes, pen and he's yeah, like going, yeah. oh, I got. I got te- I got fifty dollars on the card, oh. fella. Like that's a direct quote. That isn't, that that, isn't the language I would use. <laughs> that was like a cartoon. That was when I was like, "This is a cartoon film," because there because there were so many lines as well. It was like, "Oh, he's swell." I, I can't remember some of them, but they were just like, "He's a gas" and stuff like that. They're just okay. It's the sort of thing that you well, think it, they might have said back then, but I did they really? And as soon as you hear it, it just sounds wrong. It sounds so unnatural. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all a bit Bugsy Malone, isn't it? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And there's like, 
just kind of the setup of all these characters. We get this guy as well, like, and he's there, stood in the middle of the street, like, narrating to himself what is going on whilst writing it in a notebook. And it's yeah. like, well, obviously, this has got to come to play at some point in the film, isn't it? Like, you can't just stand there and, and it's like, what the fuck is he doing? It's like, for me, I was like, well, that could have just been a really interesting device as like a character to tell the story. Yeah, yeah. In- instead, they use Nick Cage. There's lots of men re- like speaking aloud as they write in this. Mm-hmm. I was like, what is going on? Like, can't can't anybody just write quietly? Because there's a bit where Nick Cage is writing to his his wife, and I think it's supposed to be. His narration, because there's a lot of his narration kind of bringing a lot of atmosphere and a lot of, I suppose, the context of the film. But he's also writing a letter to his wife. And it's hard to tell what he was saying was in the letter because then he stops. (laughs) He stops writing the letter. and I think he turns around and it it keeps going. I was like, I don't know who's supposed to hear this, his wife (laughs) or is it us? And it was it was strange. But like, as you're saying about the the stories, it kind of plants all these little seeds about all these little stories which are which are possibly going somewhere and I, you kind of feel like well that's enough you don't really need obviously it's based on a true account but the case doesn't really need to be in the film because the film is although it's not really about these little stories it's mostly it mostly flits between these little subplots really mm-hmm. it doesn't like it's not really about nick cage's life and his struggle with the war or his or how he feels about what he's doing. He talks about putting all these kids' lives at risk and, oh, we lost six kids on the last mission. I just need six more and I'm good to go. He's just kind of, he's just there. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not really about him until, like, the last sort of 20 minutes. Well, yeah, and there's that thing that, like, these the I, these subplots as well and, like, these sub-stories, it's a kind of interesting thing as well because it, it, it just reeks of, like the writers like being like well we need we need like people need something more than like the actual story itself to bring people in whether it's like the the whole pearl harbor criticism where it's like why does there have to be this like love triangle like love yeah 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 why does it feel like the backdrop to that is like an actual real life world tragedy do you know what I mean? It would be, I don't like, and a good example of something that does it differently is World Trade Center, the uh, Oliver Stone film with Nick Cage in it. It's like, it is about guys trapped inside, like firefighters trapped inside mm. the wreckage of 9 11, like mm. of the Twin Towers. And it's like, great. It doesn't have to be this, like, star-crossed lovers and like will they will they find mm. each other like it, it and and that's what you get with this you get this kind of really convoluted like subplot of a love triangle yeah. you get these these two guys who fight in that in that in the alleyway who like it's probably the one i got most invested in actually like yeah when the ship went down and they kind of have this thing where it's like they're both locked up on the ship obviously for like fighting beforehand and then they like um one of them gets let out like the black guy Mm. gets let out by uh another black guy i think is the chef yeah and then and and then 
like he he goes back. Yeah, but, he was fighting yeah, with. But yeah, yeah. And there's that moment where they're both locked in the cell, and mm. I was like, "That is that is fucking heartbreaking." Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, like it is. It is sod's law, isn't it? It's like, well, yeah. It's like you kind of you're fucked if you do, you're fucked if you don't. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he, he had that moral quandary of I either leave and I've got a man's life, like on my yeah, head, or like. And then it's like, well, I go back, and then it's like, well, I'm fucked anyway. I'm locked in this cell with him, and we're both gonna die. Yeah, that was definitely one of the the, the strongest subplots in it because it actually it, it came to fruition. You sort of invested in both the characters, and originally it's about those two and the chef. And you have the classic thing where there's that fork in the road. The chefs come in to unlock the. Uh, jails he drops the keys after he lets out the first guy doesn't bother to find them which is like fair enough you're trying to get out of a boat you've dropped it in all this water I can understand you might just try and get out of there you know you're not really against that guy and then the other guy goes back in in spite of it because they get out and they get down the corridor but they can hear him shouting and then the chef later dies because you know that has to be his karmic retribution for not for not being an absolute angel at all times. Whereas the other two get to survive and they bond and they're in the hospital and stuff like that. And and that's nice because you actually see you actually see real growth in mm-hmm. the characters. Especially the racist uh Southern character. You know, he goes he goes back to his home, you, you see his like wife or his girlfriend on a tractor, and then, then they're like at the end. You see like he's actually He's dealt with his racism and like learnt from the yeah. from from being saved and having to bond in that dinghy surrounded by sharks for like three days. Like that's a real that's like a real story and that's quite nice. But, but it seems like the only one that's really successful. The guy who's a writer just gives his book to the guy who's dying, uh, just randomly, and then the love triangle just ends up a bit like. I mean, it's good, but it's just kind of just a bit depressing and just almost pragmatic in the end. Well, you get that weird scene where, like, it's like that hallucination, and like, it's like, like he he has this one of them has a dream that they had been saved, and then he confesses yeah. he confesses to his friend. He's like, I've always loved like the girl that you that you're going to propose to, but. It's very confusing as well because there's no, we have no backstory. He's like, I've loved her since Sunday school. And it's like, well, you've got to be like 20. So, like, what? This is like a, possibly like a 15 year, like, like infatuation you've had. It's like all we've been shown on screen and all we really know knew about your, like, the kind of your relationship to that woman was your friend was going to propose to her after being going out of her for three months. And I thought, like, at most, maybe you've known her for three months. Do you know what I mean? Like, you didn't, yeah. You didn't get any of that kind of, like, that there was a backstory between any of them. And I guess, like, it would have muddied it down even more if we had, like, I don't know, got any more of, like... A, yeah. Yeah, you, you can't have too much because it doesn't go anywhere. But then... I mean, it's it's hard to be like, well, if you have more, then you're just left with all this investment and it just kind of ends nowhere anyway. It's, it's almost better that it keeps it... But the thing is, it's just spreading it really thin, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I kind of get what it's doing. It's because you've got this tragedy, 
that is just a natural outcome of war, which is what we do, and it's part of our history. And they're trying to build some sympathy towards the people so that when their life's on the line or when they die, you're invested in them. But I don't have to be invested in them because they're going to get married or, like, I don't know. Like I just feel like I could be invested more in, like, their humanity, yeah, you know, rather than them having a family or or kids or you just you know you're not invested you're not invested in in them as characters and their personalities it's almost like what they carry as their um their sort of emotional or like relationship value outside of that yeah and th- and you just like well maybe you don't get married like does it really matter you know and it's, it's hard because you, you, you can't just have a bunch of like sort of grunt soldiers who you just don't really identify with and then you're just waiting for him to die. And you're like, where's that one? He's dead. They all kind of look alike anyway. But it, yeah, it does kind of try and do a bit of a Pearl Harbor where it's, you just, you just left wondering what this film's about. And that's why when I was watching it and I was like, oh, I guess it's just going to be kind of like a Pearl harbor historical film. And then when I heard about the sharks, I was like, why is all this happening now then? Like, why are we, why am I watching this film at the start? Well, the thing is, with a kind of like, it, yeah, because it goes from being like Pearl Harbor at the beginning, then mm. uh, or like the it go it, it it's like a condensed version of Titanic, isn't it? It's like yeah, that kind of like whip smart, like introducing the characters really quickly, yeah. Ship, but then, like within the first like forty minutes. You get all of that, and then you get like the end of Titanic with the ship sinking. Yeah, like even like scenes that look like identical, like people trying to hold on, and then yeah, hundred percent. Like the yeah, that's it, like it's stuck in my brain. Like that moment in Titanic, of someone's like head bouncing off a propeller, and we kind of see oh, like, yeah. something like that mirrors that in this. Like, and then it gets it gets a bit Jaws when uh, obviously besides the kind of shark thing but these kind of guys having like these these heart to hearts on the ocean and like this film weirdly is referenced or well, not this film but these events are referenced in jewels oh yeah yeah i love that when i found that out i was like oh that's so good that's so good yes yeah, it's, it's it's the story that quint tells them yeah about like about being in like the navy and like being stranded like that like yeah he tells this this story and it's like well not that this story doesn't deserve to be told on the big screen but like in a way we've kind of this story has been told through something like jaws do you know what i mean like yeah yeah in the subtext of that film like yeah but like they do it in a much more clever way of being like it's just free men on a boat as opposed to having to have this convoluted like yeah i don't don't know that film kind of tells it in like an allegorical form as opposed to here's like a factual retelling of what happened which like Mm. there are many like factual inaccuracies with this film like where it's down to and i totally understand why it would be this way but like uh racial segregation in the army Mm. wasn't was was still in play until like 1948 i believe it was so like 
this like the you wouldn't the, these these characters wouldn't have even been together mm. e- ever do you know what I mean yeah and I don't know like yeah it's it's a it's a, it's a, it's a it's a it's a bizarre film like yeah i mean I, I think it tries to do too much and it's also trying to be too many other films which is fine you know something sometimes a film just needs to exist as a vehicle for nick, nick cage or whatever um and yeah it's just kind of it kind of takes you down these little alleyways and then just leaves you there and then suddenly it's it's it's, it's back over another one and then there's not enough nick cage to really get into it like ever the first third he's barely really in it you're you're being introduced to all these admirals you're being introduced to his generals and he's like oh i kind of recognize him from that film and i was him but then he's not it doesn't really serve any purpose other than he just he has to be in there because he was it's like more or less about his character um but like it doesn't need to be about his character like you could tell this story and not make it based on historical facts and make it more interesting because you're not having to, you know, ruin the legacy of an actual event. Or you could just tell this more factually and dive into... You'd have to do more about... You'd essentially have to, like, get rid of the first third, get rid of all the relationships, and then just make it, like, a historical thriller about how the Navy fucked up and... Like that, the fact that that um, Japanese commander came over in 1945 to testify against an American mm-hmm. captain, you know, after after they surrendered, like, that stuff's crazy. Well, that is the that is the thing that this film, like, it's like it wanted to cram in, like, yeah, the aspects of it where it's like there are elements of this film that are filmed within their own rights. So there is there mm. is something in a like courtroom drama oh yeah about about the events of this do you know what I mean mm. like that would have been like fascinating and like even if the film was told like even if it had elements of this film and it kind of had like that overhanging like uh story like structure of the courtroom and we kind of got like these like how they do like how they do in the courtroom where it has these flashbacks it's yeah like, the whole film was taught like told like that it would have been great this kind of like as each person is on the witness stand we get this flashback and we kind of like maybe get a bit of like backstory to them as well like whatever it yeah is, kind of like portmanteau like different little stories within like this one film that kind yeah. of yeah like, paint the picture and then like at the like i don't i don't know because then it's like we know already the kind of the the vital information that we're then yeah at the end and it's like well the the, the kind of verdict isn't isn't a surprise to us do you know what i mean if it had been, yeah if it had been this thing where it's like oh we're, we're we're kept in the dark and it's not until he's on the witness stand and he's asked that question that we then get a flashback and see that, that yeah. was what he did on the night, it would have been like, fuck. Like, yeah, because it's a real gut punch. Yeah, they put it all in there. They could have those scenes and just cut away from those moments. Because they ask him a question, just like, oh, yeah, because he, he didn't do that. And like he made a really big point about just trying to get home. 
and it was all it's all just there and like they're all in they're all in the courtroom anyway which seems a little bit ridiculous but you make you could just have them thinking about what happened you know and then that that could be it. and when the japanese commander comes in that could be a big like oh fuck moment which it kind of was i was i was really impressed by that and then reading up about it there was so much controversy around that you know at, at the time that, that was happening they were uh, discovering all the war crimes and all the atrocities that the Japanese army had had done in World War Two, and and at that same time, you've got the Japanese commander of a submarine uh, who's not being treated as as a war criminal because they um, surrendered. He's he's been treated as uh, like a guest of the state, basically, and he's <laughs> he's destroyed this ship, and which is accounted for the highest amount of like naval deaths in, in, in the history. And he's there testifying against a captain of the US. Like people would have a fucking field day today if, yeah. <laughs> if if that was happening. And he's and he's he's being escorted by guard and he was Yeah, it's 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 nice. It's like, oh wow, like the like America really actually did the decent thing and treated him like a human being rather than just treating him like a prisoner. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure there was an aspect of that because I think he was there for much longer than he he needed to be. But it, I, I think I think he reflect like he reflected in a, a, a book of, about his time that he wrote um, in the Navy, saying that he was really impressed by the civility of the Americans actually treating him like a human being rather than but rather than as as their enemy. And yeah, I, I I honestly was just I was I was happy to watch the first third. And then the middle third, I was like, is this going to go Sharknado? Like, how how just out of the fucking window are we going to go with this? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to go. I want I want Nick Cage to just put me on his back and just fly straight into the mouth of a shark and just take <laughs> me and just just take me on a ride. And but then that doesn't really happen either. And it is sort of a bit jawsy. But they're not even it doesn't really have the stakes of it. Then the final third, I kind of like. I really perked up. Yeah, yeah. And and it was, but not when they're like, "Oh, I'm gonna have, I'll I'll raise his baby because I'm a good man. You don't have to say yes, and I'll I'll propose with the ring that he had." And they're all like, "Oh, wow, he's a better guy than I am." I was like, "Okay, this is moving on. This is this is moving forwards." But it was when it was when it was just like, and this is it was kind of a credits where I was like, "Oh, actually, yeah, this is interesting." When it just gave you some information, it just gave you some facts and. Which I think I'm not trying to like slag the film off by being like, oh, I'd rather just read the Wikipedia entry. But I felt more invested in the film once I was given a bit more context about it and well, well, it's that more about well. the actual characters. If it had been like, it's that thing. It wants to have its cake and eat it. It wants to be like, it. It feels like it's I don't know serving too many masters and kind of like not really focused on what it wants to do. It's like yeah, because it, it throws up all this stuff at the end with like interviews with like the survivors and stuff survivors in the credits it's like well if this was like a a documentary i would have loved it if this was if this was a courtroom drama i would have loved it if this was like a a full like sea survival movie do you know what i mean if like yeah it had kind of like we had got that exposition and like within 20 minutes like the the ship had like sunk and then the rest of the film was Mm. are they going to survive are they not 
And then we kind of got like a postscript that kind of told us about the kind of court proceedings afterwards. And I would, yeah, I want to do a bit more like digging on that as opposed to it just goes, you know what, we're going to try and do all of it. And it's like, well, like that, that, that isn't helpful to anyone. Like, yeah, because it's, I, I don't know, and yeah, Cage is massively underutilized in this. Like, yeah, to be honest, at times, even with his voiceover, which like I'd imagine is pretty easy work, he sounds like <laughs> he's like relatively speaking, as opposed to like being like in tanks of water and stuff like that. He sounds like he can't be fucking asked. No, voiceover, it's... like it's a bit like. And then I <laughs> eventually I even lost Louise. It's a bit like it sounds. It sounds like Eeyore. It's so monotonous. It's so monotonous. And it, it, but where it's just laid over the film as well, it just kind of consumes you, and you're just you're really dragged down by it. You know, it is very Eeyore. You know, it's this very like depressive, hypnotic, just monotone fucking valium voice well we don't get the like thing of when like i don't know like when we get to the end because i eventually we we realize that he yeah so he is found just again like just to draw it back to the film he is found guilty for not like zigzagging like that basically the the u.s army scapegoated him right (laughs) sorry can i can i just just remember, there was a play written about this, mm-hmm. and the title of the play was "Failure to Zigzag," Amazing. which I think is the worst. I think it's the worst and best name for a play ever, considering the context of this fucking story. And he's, someone wrote a play and was like, "We'll call it Failure to Zigzag." Well, like, anyway, sorry, I just remembered that. So I'm just well, no, there, there's de- a, derailing. There's, <laughs> derailing there's, us. A, there's a 1991 film called Mission of the Shark. Ah, <laughs> yes. The saga of the USS Indianapolis, which I think is a more convoluted title than <laughs> this title itself. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't know what. What do you like off the top of your head right now? Like, let's maybe spitball a couple of ideas of what would have made a better title for this film. But I don't know if I can. A better title for this film. Well, it's it's hard to. The thing is, you've got three films. Yeah. So, you know, like Salty Heart for the first third. What's like the middle bit? It's, just I, like, it, it, it would have a crap name like Stranded. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. And then, and then the last half is... It, I don't, well, it just it feels like other films. It's like Titanic... <laughs> a de- like life of pie it gets a bit life of pie in the middle as well doesn't it like because we kind of get these moments of like so we get that's that is the thing and i think cage suffers from this and so do the other like big like big name uh actors in this so like mm. the three top billing is nick cage tom sizemore and thomas jane and like i was genuinely like looking at it going has Thomas Jane had like really like heavy plastic surgery that I haven't recognised him in this film? And it's literally as that like thought cropped in my mind, 
he turned up and here's the mustachioed like pilot who turns up to save them and is on <laughs> screen maybe maybe at a push 10 minutes and i was like yeah why has he got top billing mm. like we get it you played you, you you played the punisher in the 2000s but it's like you don't deserve top billing on this film like he's a he's a cameo at best yeah yeah and then tom's and- tom sizemore plays the like uh I, I think plays a really interesting character the like uh the engine the engine room like captain who gets his leg uh bitten off and is read to by the uh the the novelist who gets his head eventually bitten off right no no the, he survives doesn't he the writer he gives he gives he gives the book to tom sizemore's character who's then obviously set to see and then who gets his head bitten off oh. and then yeah, because I was like, wait, what? What happened here? I was invested in this dude. He was the writer. I was going to find out that this was based on a book that he wrote or something like that. And then when and when they're in the hospital, he was like, oh, the book. Oh, I just gave it to the dying guy because he needed some company. I said, like, well, the book, you've been writing this whole fucking film, which has been this, has been your only, like, been your only tool and device in this film is you eventually writing this and then he's also being told it's like ah oh, maybe you should make them fuck eh like because he's trying to tell this kind of poetic story about the love triangle he's like oh he's chasing the girl but he's also chasing the girl and he's he's, he's, he's talking to people in the dinghy he's like yeah is, is is he gonna get beneath her oh yeah they should <laughs> and then he goes he's talking to tom sizemore character and then he starts proper making it like super blue. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then they did this to try and like, he essentially just waters down his great work of fiction just to like impress and, and keep um, keep all the sailors happy. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. Maybe he's progressing with his book or something. There's a bit of development there. Like, he's, yeah. he, he, like his book isn't just about him. He's using it to make other people happy and kind of get, and like boost morale. And then all of a sudden he's, it's just on a different sailor and it's used to trick two other sailors momentarily, uh, like for a brief moment. And then kind of tricked me as well. It was only when I saw the yeah. hospital. I was like, I didn't need any of that to happen. Like I wasn't relieved to say, I was just confused why he died for no reason. Yeah. I think I was, I think, well, I, I, I must be confused because even now I, was, I, I assumed he had died. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I had it in my notes. I was like, why is he dead? Like what happened? Why is the book? And then they've got his book, but they, but they don't care. And yeah, it's just, you just kind of go around in a circle and you're like, well, why am I back here? And he's alive again, but he's got no book and the book and that whole device was just kind of a waste. Of, it was nice whilst it was there, but it was no payoff for it, you know? Well, is there, is there any scenes or moments that really stood out to you in this film? Like, were they like, I, I've, I've got a couple in my notes, but I'll throw it to you before we go. To scenes. What is like impactful or impressive? Or... Well, just like you go like either in any way. Is it like well, yeah, that was that was great. Like, like for me, I just throw one out, which is I thought like that that moment where um, Nicholas Cage is having like a dream and he's like pulled off his bed into the water. Like, yeah, oh, that's like that that is really like, that that is really interesting and kind of like yeah like, made me think like I imagine that like you could never have like a 
a good night's sleep. Do you know what I mean? You would be haunted by that experience. Like, mm. and I think like for visual storytelling, that's that's a really good way of doing it, as opposed to just him going, "Oh, I can't, for, I can't, I, I can't forget what happened out on the water." <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Which is what a lot of this film does. Yeah, I mean, that would have been like when, when we were talking about if you're going to create three films out of this, that, that's what you'd use in the third one. You'd have to have him grappling with the guilt, the survivor's guilt, because he did the right thing. He was the last person to abandon the ship. He called um, uh, abandoned ship like he was supposed to. He literally did all the really good captain stuff, like really heroic, goes down the ship, looks after everyone else first, managed to survive. Like So he's, he, he totally should have the worst survivor's guilt because he did everything right and then gets fucked over for it and all these people die it wasn't necessarily his fault but you know he, he gets kind of thing where it's like it, sh- it should have been me and he's haunted by that and also he's he's harassed by all of the families which happened in real life i think he was sent a card on christmas it was like uh merry christmas my son's dead or something and in 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 the film he gets a phone call and then that's all part of it. And you could really string that out of just him, like, he did everything right. He's a yeah. hero. But then you've got the duality of, like, well, he, hero doesn't exist in, in a vacuum, you know? And he ends up, he ends up blowing his brains out because he can't handle it. And, like, that, yeah. that's such an interesting story. I feel like, <laughs> basically, all the story they wrote is not as interesting as really actually what happened. And that's just what they just cram into your into well, your that, face in the last 20 minutes. Well, that is the thing. Like, for, for, like, sprawling films, like, I'm not saying he should direct this, but you look to a film like Zodiac, like, with David Fincher, yeah. and it's like, that is set over a long time, has, like, like different characters that weave in and out. Yeah. Like, like, big, like, like, big characters. Doesn't have to do a lot. Doesn't have to explain a lot of the time through exposition who those people are you kind of the story lets you know who they are and it's mm. interesting and like and this film i would love to see a film like you said that is about this kind that is just about uh charlie mcveigh and like how he dealt with this like post what happened yeah i know obviously studios a lot of time will be like oh, well, we're going to have to have, like, flashbacks to what happened, so why not just, like, that? that's what it's felt, that's what it's felt like. It's like, well, we're going to have to film scenes of the ship going down, so let's make that a big part of the film, where it's like, well, it doesn't have to be. It could, like, those yeah. scenes could have been a bit more abstract and just been shown in flashback and, like... Yeah. And that courtroom, I don't know, I feel like there is something interesting in that kind of post what happened and kind of oh like yeah reflecting upon it as opposed to being like let's try and let's try and feed like yeah let's try and serve all these different masters at once of like yeah i think i think when you try and yeah when you try and tell the story in its fullest you're never going to do that in a two-hour film you know no unless it was like a, a limited series or i don't know yeah yeah, I think it could have worked if it was longer because you could have. It didn't have to be in three sections. You could have. You could have told it and built up each each character and and their background and then how they're dealing with the actual trauma as it happens and then how they 
developed afterwards and you could and you could get to know them more progressively and also as these different layered people at the stages of yeah. like before during and after the attack or, or also the sinking of the boat is just a fact that's just the that's just the like cause what we're dealing with is the effect of it is what happened afterwards what happened with the sharks what happened with the military covering it up the fact that the, there were three signals that were sent out yeah. that, were, that were heard by the u.s navy there was a fourth signal that was intercepted by the navy which was from the japanese like that's a real like there's a, there's a really interesting political like kind of like jfk like, yeah. like who like where where does the real blame um blame lay in this is like truman's covering up and they throw the captain and it also you know you've got the fact that he's he he's court-martialed he's the only captain uh, of a, a ship to be sunk to be court-martialed the effects of that are not are not catastrophic because he's a captain of a ship I think they kicked him up the stairs and they made him a rear admiral. And that was it. Like, that's just what happened to his life. It wasn't really that devastating. It was it was devastating to him because it's about the injustice yeah, that, yeah. that, that uh, Navy and that institution has done to him, which did happen in real life. And then the fallout of him, like, being haunted by the, 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 the actual living families and then... The, the ghost of all these people that died. And you've got that building up. We're talking about kids or any kids, blah, blah, blah. And then the fact that he um, he kills himself when he's 70. You know, his wife's died. And the, I think they did a good job of, like, building how much he loved his wife up in it. Yeah. That's a real that's a, like a real aspect of his character. You know, he's, oh, he talks about he'd never get rid of his ring or something, something about that. And you get the feeling that he's, like, really in love with his wife. And they're, like, you know, he's like such she's such a massive part of his life. And then he's just like, Louise is dead now. Anyway, it's like, wait, what? She died. Like, if you're going to build all this up, that should be this massive, horrific part of the film. Well, it doesn't even say she died. It literally says, and eventually Louise left me. And it's (laughs) like, well, that's a. I was like, I'm not. It wasn't until I saw it in like the postscript where I was like, oh, she died of cancer. It's like, it made it sound like he was kind of like driven crazy by all of this that she like uh, yeah, she yeah, left yeah. him, and it's like I don't. It just felt like you, you. I don't know. You had some really like good points to just make. Do you know what I mean? You had. You've got. Like, yeah. And it's like it's not down to bad writing because the story is written for you. It's real events. That's what yeah. I don't understand. It's like why make it an abstract term like. He, like, do you know what I mean? Even if that is the way he would have spoke, it's like, don't leave any room for confusion. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Or like, or show us visually. It's like she eventually left me, and it's a shot of him at a graveside. I'm not like, yeah. It's, it's easy and or like, I don't know, him like kissing a like a photograph. Do you know what I mean? Or like, mm. or even something cheesy like a pit, like them two standing there her fading away anything anything other than the line just going and eventually louise left me do you know what I mean? it's like what? Mm. yeah because you can't even really latch onto it because it's he's because something else is happening at that time mm. so you just you, you sort of happen it happens but you're like invested in what's happening on screen okay yeah actually you asked like the, the scene that i did like i like how they handled the japanese commander and they handled the japanese uh, submariners. Oh, there's also a great shot where it was like going around the submarine. It was really mm. quick. I thought that was quite good. That seemed, you know, it actually 
matched what was going on. It wasn't, you know, it's not groundbreaking, but it was at least consistent and enjoyable. Um, yeah, like how it handled the commander. It was a little bit like the uh, pianist, how it's got this like, right, you see him as Nazis, but not quite the pianist because the Nazis now are like, he's almost like a angel Nazi who saves him. But they, they, treat, him as a, they treat him as a separate, as a human outside Mm-hmm. of the enemy Japanese submariner. And then they, they, uh, in in the credits, they talk about how he went on to become a Shinto priest and he uh, got together with the survivors to uh, petition government to um, expunge the, what was it, the... Um, Exonerate. Court, yeah. yeah, yeah, the, uh, court, uh, the court-martial. And I was like, oh, wow, there's all this stuff that's happening. And I think what it did do is treat i was i was expecting them to just get like to treat it as just one-dimensional enemies basically um yeah and, and there's a bit at the end when they they talk and then that was that was quite nice i was like that bit yeah. worked really well because it's not it's kind of a, a lot more subdued and just about the the more important issues of war it's like how do we deal with it once it's over who are the people once they're not soldiers and how does how does how do things progress? You know, yeah, yeah. But the film's just like, uh, let's make a film about all those soldiers got eaten by sharks. <laughs> like, <laughs> you kind of like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. My jaws bit. Yeah, it's 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 great. I wish I wish I'd been more Nick Cage doing Nick Cage stuff. Like some of my favorite parts were uh, him him running around when it was exploding because he just. He's like, he can't run very. I mean, I'm not trying to. I guess he's probably a bit older. He didn't. He didn't seem like oh, no. great. Well, he seemed like, a bit like. I think he's only like half there. Fifty six now. So right. Like, so like, I don't know. For somebody like, I imagine he's got a pretty active lifestyle. He hasn't been able to run since 2011. I think, like, from the from watching all the films, like. Mm. His running has been pretty rope. He's got a weird run to him, at least. Do you know what I mean? Not say he can't. Yeah, run, it looks pained. Yeah, and when the boat was going down, there's always like it looked like there were just fireworks and flamethrowers going off around him, which was a little bit confusing because like, well, that's it's not how things like it's just there's just sparks and jets of flame just. <laughs> it's like Mad Max just erupting on this boat, and then he like everyone else is running, and he just sort of staggers. Clearly, just outside the shot, and then stops moving. Like he's not—he's not picking up speed where he's going. He slows down as soon as he starts running. And also, when he's like paddling on his little dinghy, I was cracking because he's just the, the silliest little oar, and it's just so comical because he's having to paddle so hard. But he's clearly just not—he's not paddled at all. He's just paddled into shot just to get to where the bigger thing is. <laughs> and and they were my like because there wasn't a lot of real Nick Cage moments. He wasn't really the focus of a lot of scenes. I mean, he waves a bit, like, but it was, it was that. I enjoyed the physical, the um, unintentional physical humor. Well, I imagine for Nick Cage, like this was like uh, a, not a big year for him, but like, yeah, in 2016, he made one, two, three, made five films. So I guess this oh. would have been a wanton break to just be like, you know what? I'm not going to like, I don't have to like do much in this movie. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm in, yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm in a few films where I'm like, I'm holding the picture together. Do you right. Know I mean? Yeah. 
So I, d- I, d- I don't know whether that was his thinking of doing it or just it is an in. Do you know what I mean? There is an interesting story in there, and I guess like a director like Mario Van Peebles, who's kind of got this like good track record, and it like is a is a really interesting guy in himself. Was in a Sweetback's badass uh, song, which is like cited as like the first black exploitation film. Right. Yeah. And. um he is playing like Sweetback, which is like uh, the. Oh, oh, really? So he's got that sort of that, that sort of legacy. So he's like really from the start of uh, Black Sportation. Yeah, so he's that he's there like from the the get go. So I guess for like Cage, it'd be like, um, yeah, right. Oh, okay. To, oh no! Uh, one second. Oh, he plays Sweetback as a kid. It's his dad, Melvin Van Peebles, who plays like Sweetback as an adult. But still, right? I imagine Cage is somebody who like respects that kind of lineage and like, yeah. Oh, be- of course, yeah. Being from like a Hollywood family himself and like kind of mm. understanding cinema, but like even yeah, Mario Van Peebles himself like um, actually was in a film with Nick Cage in 1984. Uh, the Cotton Club, which was directed by Francis Ford Coppola, uh, Marvin Mario Van Peebles uh, played a dancer in that, and Nick Cage mm. it, like uh, plays Richard Gere's uh, brother in that, like so this kind of like gangster. So it's nice to see that, like, uh, yeah, there's some there's some Cage crossovers, and another two being Tom Sizemore and Thomas Jane, who are in. Bringing out the dead and uh, face off, respectively, which is like right. Uh, yeah, for, for for those of you at home who've got your Nick Cage bingo card out, there you go. <laughs> uh, let's let's knock off a couple of those. There's a couple of people in this that like. Uh, so yeah, one of the actors, Cody Walker, uh, yeah, is actually the late uh, Paul Walker's brother. Yeah. Who went on to like basically do reshoots of the stuff they needed in Fast and the Furious Seven of Paul Walker just from behind? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't recognize because he was the the guy taking bets with the glasses, wasn't yeah. he? And I I didn't recognize him at all in the film. Well, I don't. I didn't. I wouldn't. I didn't know who he was. It was yeah. only when I went through the IMDb to try and get a bit of an idea. And then when you see pictures of him, you're like, oh, it looks a lot like Paul Walker. What, like, but put some glasses on him and he's transformed. The cast of this is like, it's weird because you've got James Remmer uh, as Admiral Parnell, who, like, James Remmer, again, has got this, like, great legacy. He's um, mm. he's in The Warriors and, like, oh, he's, like, one of the, he's, you know, the guy with, uh, I need to pull this up, which one here? But, like, the really raspy voice in the oh fuck's sake I'm scrolling back here du, 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 du. Ajax in the Warriors right and yeah it's like kind of popped up throughout like throughout cinema was in like Django Unchained has done stuff for like uh, the Batman TV series and stuff like that and uh, it's in like I don't know. And it's like, 
he is for yeah, and was in like a whole se- season. Uh, he plays Harry Morgan, so the I think it's uh, Dexter's dad in the the Dexter like TV series. Yeah, and it is this thing of like he's an he's an actor again who's like for real film nerds like me. I'm like, oh, that's fucking Ajax from. The Warriors, yeah. and it's like when he comes off the screen, he's like, "Well, he's there for like two scenes." Yeah, he kind of like bookends the film. You're like, "Oh, well, that's like that's a waste." So, so much of his film is just tantalising you with possibility, mm-hmm. and then just kind of leaving you a bit like, Ugh. "It's like, it's like here's a little bit of cake," and you're like, oh, "I'll have some more cake." You're like, "No, now we're moving on to the next course. Here's some cheese." You're like, oh, well, "I could have got a taste of cake in my mouth now, but I'm supposed to go for a bit of cheese." You're like, "No more cheese for you. Now you got this broccoli," and you just kind of you're left with this like shitty taste of like all these little things. But you having one, you would have been fine. But at the end of it, you're just like, oh, "I mean, it's just like a unfinished smorgasbord of like different things." And like, yeah, like the actors are all. There's not enough of one, like like we're saying about all the little subplots and all the different stories. Yeah. There's not enough of one to really get invested in. It was only when I was like talk, talking to you about it, but I realised the, uh, the sort of racist uh, uh, relationship between the two people that fight is the only one that really pays off. Yeah, and it's got a very straightforward. You know, there's no like, there's 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 no compromise to it. They get into a fight. One of them tries to kill the other with a knife. They get put in prison. One of them saves the other one in spite of his friend. Then they get stuck on a boat surrounded by sharks. They fucking work it out. And then one of them becomes, I hope, I assume, somewhat less racist because of it. Yeah, and the other guy goes blind. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's, fucking, why does the guy go blind? I hope he gets better. Well, that, like, like, does it need to go blind for the other guy to not be racist? He doesn't have to give him his eyes to fucking well, they, seem like not a racist bastard. M- maybe it is like a really on the nose thing of like, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't see colour because I don't see at all. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm, re- I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm not just colour blind. I'm blind. Like, <laughs> I don't. I, I, I can't see colour. Um, I I will let you go in a moment, Jamie, but like I'll be remiss if I didn't mention mm-hmm. a moment that really stood out to me in this film, which yeah. is uh, there is a moment where the, the, like, the score is like uh, playing and there's like this piano playing and it looks like, like, I'm not sure if this is me just kind of like hallucinating in this, getting caught up in it all, but some, like one of the guys has like made the kind of like workings of a piano like it's obviously not a functioning piano but it's like it <laughs> it's looks got, like it's got key- his it's got like his like midi keyboard out well it's like he's drawn the like he's he's drawn a keyboard out on the side of the thingy and in time with the thingy he's like hitting hitting these keys and it's like i was so confused by that like i was just like is this is this supposed to be like showing us like his coping mechanism for being here? But I was just like, this is very bizarre. Like, why is Elton John out there with them? You know? <laughs> is is that a uh, like the short Latino guy? Yeah, who's kind of like the the wise guy in it. He's like, that's not a that's not a dove. That's a pigeon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, and and even that's like it's kind of interesting, but there's no payoff. I thought he was gonna like. 
get a fucking beat down for it because it's like unnecessary. You know, he's like, we all know it's a fucking pigeon. We call it a dove because we're stuck down here and we need something. Yeah. It's just like, there's a wise remark and there's no like, yeah, just kind of. But then he was carving that fucking thing for ages. I didn't know what was going on because I didn't catch that bit. But I was wondering like, are we just going to watch him like carve his way out of his dinghy and kill himself? Because it was, he kept going back to him, just like stabbing at it and like removing it. Like he really, like he knew what he was doing, but I didn't realise that he had a piano beneath the, the raft well, look, side. He didn't have a piano. It's like, it's like he'd just, just, it wasn't a piano. He'd, he'd just drawn on out, out a key. He'd drawn on a keyboard. That was it. And it's like, this is very bizarre. This has just got like, <laughs> like very, and, and all I could think of was like the direction on there. It's like, Right, so the tune goes C D F. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah? Can I ask a question? Yeah. This is my girlfriend, Lizzie. Hello. This is Petros. Hello. Welcome, welcome to the Vacation <laughs> Podcast. Uh, I'm going to order some food. Okay. Do you want pizza or burgers? 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 Yeah. Pizza. P- Petros, pizza or burgers? What do you want, Lizzie? What do you want, Lizzie? Uh, you want pizza? I don't know. I want pizza, but Let's I go for pizza. Burgers. Let's go for pizza. <laughs> Bur- burgers uh, are never as fun when, when they arrive as when you are in the restaurant. Yeah, pizza's always good. when That's the only thing. I'm like, oh, but bur- like, burgers, when you get them, they're not that great. When you order them and they come to your house, whereas when you get them in the book. <laughs> yeah, even if yeah. you go, even if you go okay, to cool. like a really good restaurant, like bye, the, bye, bye. <laughs> a, deli- a delivery burger always like comes to you, like you know when you order uh, a McDonald's burger, it's, like, oh, it's nothing like the picture. <laughs> yeah, I know, especially with like places around Brighton, you know, with mm-hmm. uh, delivery and all that technology we have these days. Like, there's so many good places, and then you have to pay like the same amount as if you're in the thing, and then it arrives, you're like. Oh, this is, I'm just sat in my dirty flat eating this burger, which is like sweated onto itself and it's disintegrating. Like, oh, I, I should have just got like a, a, an Indian takeaway because that is. Purpose built. It's purpose built. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, sorry. Um, no. So the guy, the guy floated on the baby grand piano. Um, was he wearing a tuxedo or? No tuxedo. No, it was just. Did he have a big? Did he have a big Elton John glasses on or like? No, it was just a very. Like, all I could think was like, yeah, the fact that he's going to have there. There's going to be direction on set where it's like, which, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Now hit the C. Like, do you know what I mean? They're going to be like C, F sharp, B flat, and he's like got to do it like whilst they're doing this like overhead shot. Just... So it was like actually to. He's playing like you know, it's like a major chord. You can see he's playing the major. Well, like no, he it wasn't just like a ah, piano. Well, no, because he'd done it quite big, and it was like single notes. So it's like the tune, <laughs> say like the score on the tune would just go like ding ding ding. Uh, kind of like he was kind of like playing along with it. I'd I'd imagine. I don't know. I would have to get a keyboard out and then like work out what was on the score. <laughs> Uh, which maybe I'll do at some later point and release it as video. Uh, if you listen to podcasts, hold me on that and I'll, I'll actually do it. But um, right, so yeah, before I let you go, um, that's that's the spin-off, right? We we can't work out a name for each third of a film, but that's his spin-off film. 
Perfect. Yeah, yeah. The 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 C, the C, it, the C pianist. Uh, C shark. Oh, I like it. I like but it. You, you, you know how it's spelled. It's not spelled that C. It's spelled. Yeah. There we go. Yep. That's how we do it. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. So, <laughs> uh, with this film, does Nick Cage have bad hair? Only if you look for it. And I, I was looking for it. I was, I was coming for it. But I think it's great. It's not. He's not really in it enough. There aren't enough there aren't enough flaws because there's not enough Nick Cage. I don't mean that as a, a direct. Yeah, I know what you mean. Real, yeah, but there's not enough for me to see, really. Well, yeah, you know? but, well, it's like if if yeah, if you see someone for five minutes, you can't really like go. I don't know. You can't really relate to someone if they live with someone. They go, oh, this guy's an arsehole. It's like well, you spend most of your time with that person, as opposed to like in the five minutes I I bump into <laughs> him on the street. He seems lovely. Do you know what I mean? It's like, so you can't really rate. So we don't get enough of that cage to be like, oh, he's got this floor, he's got that floor. And I, yeah, I yeah. You, his hair is totally passable in this. But uh, yeah. oh, there is, there is one thing which from like the get go, I was like, ah, uh, uh, it was uh, the guy is from New York, but he doesn't sound like he's from New York. I was like, oh, that's the worst Boston accent I've ever heard. <laughs> and then when they got to the house, he's like, oh, what? Um, He's like, oh, I'm from New York. He was like, they explained his character. He's been like, oh, he's a bit crazy. He's from New York. He's like, what? Like, <laughs> it's just like, this is awful. Like, it just, yeah, it wasn't, I mean, my New York accent is terrible because I was trying to do a Boston accent and that was a bad New York accent. <laughs> when, I'm not in a movie with Nick Cage. So if I was, I'd probably watch like um, The Departed first just to check. So, talking of bad voices, uh, does Nick Cage do a crazy voice in this film? He is known to pull them out of the bag from time to time, but is this one of them? It's the opposite. It's it's just like in his other films for that year, he was pulling out of a crazy, and he was in hibernation for this film because he barely moved his lips or altered his tone. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's underwhelming at <laughs> best, um, and. Something that a lot of people go for, I guess the people who see Nicolas Cage as this meme. Do we get a freak out from Nick Cage? No. Oh, it's, a, it's, no. A, it's, it's a no across the board. No bad hair, no crazy voice, no freak out. Which leads me to my last and final question, which is, would you recommend people watch this film? No, I, I wouldn't because... I don't, I, I don't know what to tell them when I'd be telling them what, like, why they should watch the film. But do you like these three different things? Do you want to see an inferior version of it where it confuses them all as one film? And then at the end, you're like, oh, I should probably read the Wikipedia about this. Well, I think you could have a lot more fun evening, kind of just doing a bit of research about the 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 individual like the, yeah the the events themselves and like kind of or just have a really like killer like film marathon of like titanic life pie jaws yeah maybe like a, a few good men is that is that the one what's the one with you know the jack nicholson one was like you can't handle the truth <laughs> yeah like, yeah a few good men that's a kind of uh, yeah like, army uh like courtroom drama do you know what I mean like so mm. just kind of like stick all of those on and you'll get like 
it will take a bit longer than this, but at least you know it will be hit after hit after hit after. Do you know what I mean? It'll be like yeah, good. Sometimes it's filmmaking. It's sometimes much like the takeaway burger. It's better to get up, have a shower, get dressed, walk into town, go into a restaurant, sit down, order the thing, be a bit bored, wait for them to cook it, bring it to you, you to eat it. Then you're like, that was good. Then you can walk home. It takes so much more time, but it is better and really the only way to do it. Like, this film is like the reheated, sloppy, condensed burger, which looked good when you were looking at it on the menu. And now that you've invested in it, you're just disappointed and trying to figure out, try and figure out where the fucking meat is. Perfect. I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, it's, been absolute, <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast, mate. So, uh, what is what is coming up in the future with sort of ghostly? Are you guys still plugging away? Are you still sorting out what's happening in the uh, paranormal, or uh, are you have you taken another break? No, no, we're good. So recently, uh, we've been investigating uh, the this the demonologist couple. The um i've got i've got the names <laughs> it all started because we watched because uh, james watched the uh conjuring which is about the parent family so it's it's all it's all kicked off from there um and now we're going through every case that um ed and lorraine warren have done so uh we've, we we've done that and we've done the enfield uh poltergeist so we're working through those but we started doing that when I was furloughed. So I was like, I've got all the time to read all the things and listen to all the podcasts. And then I just completely did too much and drove myself insane with... Because the problem is, they're not real, right? So you end up just reading loads of accounts of people. It's like, I definitely saw that Lego appear from nowhere. <laughs> and it's like, it's like now I think that girl threw it at your head and it's left a fucking lasting impression in your brain, unfortunately. So... We are working our way through the illustrious career um, of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, and there's a lot there because it is fascinating. And are they, are they shysters? Are they demonologists? Do they, do they believe in themselves? Do they not? It's, it's fucking fascinating. So we're going through that at the moment. It's, it's the most real podcast feeling like we know what we're doing professionalism the podcast has ever done uh but saying that uh we did a bonus episode where i just drunkenly spoke about my birthday in a field amazing minutes recently so there's a bit of everything so and where can people find where sort of ghostly is on social media and it's podcast platforms we've got facebook we've got twitter we're on soundcloud and then that goes to spotify and then uh kind of like wherever you find podcasts itunes i don't know i use podcast addict i used to use a thing it was called something else but you can go on google you could um you could just shoot me and james a message and we can just talk to you about it and you can kind of get like a live <laughs> like we could we could sort that out um yeah any any way you want it we'll 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 give it to you <laughs> 
Perfect. Well, I'll be sure to put like uh, <laughs> any links in the show notes for people to make sure they can find you. Even just give out your phone numbers as well. Like, yeah. If they yeah. want the real one-on-one experience. Perfect. Cool. Uh, I'll, I'll send you a, a Google Maps of both our addresses so you can you can put that as a picture for this podcast. Amazing. Geo tags will do the like, amazing. <laughs> yeah. amazing. Well, uh, Jamie, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thanks so much, thank, man. Thank you so much. It's, it's, it's so nice to be on it. Obviously, you know, well, no, James isn't here. We could finally get into like, an actual podcast. But no, it's been so nice. This is uh, this is my second bucket list item. Ticked off. Perfect. Well, <laughs> having you on, mate. Cheers, man. And there we go, guys. Another episode done. Another film ticked off the ever-increasing list of nick cage movies um should probably talk about on the podcast uh the 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 news the news is probably old by now but uh it's really shaping up that um the unbearable weight of massive talent is gonna be great right if uh, if you haven't seen the news of the casting so uh yeah uh the fan who hires the real nick cage to uh do an appearance at a birthday or like an event it's going to be paid by pedro pascal and uh as of yet uh another casting um we don't know who the character is but uh it's the fantastic sharon horgan if you don't know sharon horgan uh she is in uh catastrophe she kind of has has her fingers in a lot of pies as well i know she helped out on uh, this way up the ashlyn b um sitcom and yeah she was in the fantastic game night sharon horgan's killing it and uh i'm so excited for that piece of both both pieces of casting for the unbearable weight of massive talent uh obviously imminently we're we're still waiting on that willie's wonderland trailer hopefully hopefully we'll be able to see that and find out what is going on with all those evil animatronics and uh nick cage said recently that pig is finished and they are waiting for it to possibly hit up some festivals we know that uh the london film festival has been announced uh the program for that unfortunately it is not there uh let's hold our breath baby that it's at either the new york film festival or the toronto international film festival uh, yeah it'd be exciting to at least see what pig is about the premise for it seems very very interesting um so yeah how great was jamie uh as we said in the podcast uh hit up sort of ghostly on social media and li- listen to their podcast obviously all of it will be in the show notes uh just just below all you have to do is uh yeah read the description for this and you'll be able to to find out wherever sort of ghostly are and what they're up to and listen to the podcast you don't have to like leave this app to get all that information which is i know in this oh digital world it's it's so it's so so hard to to have to google stuff time at times just i want it all i want it now well i'm giving it all to you and i'm giving it to you now uh <laughs> perfect uh if you 
disagreed with me and Jamie in any way, if you thought this was a better film or if we missed something or we were unfair in any way, please feel free to get in touch on all social media. That would be at Caged In Podcast, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Or if you really want to take me to task or, or you just want to send me an email. Some people want to kick it old school. They don't might not have social media they might think it's the devil's work and especially if you listen to last week's episode about snowden you probably want to get off get off of uh, all of that in general anyway uh i can't i can't really uh, give out my address because i'm not sure i really want letters coming to me and i don't think a podcast is the right place to put out an address but i can give you an email address which is cagedinpod at gmail.com if you want to uh yeah, send me an email about anything cage-related or uh, specifically about USS Indianapolis Men of Courage. And what do we have coming up next week? So we have Dog Eat Dog. Nicholas Cage's second time teaming up with both Willem Dafoe and Paul Schrader and I'll be joined for that episode by Nobody Puts Nick in a Cage that is um, Scott and Matt Uh, fantastic guys obviously you could probably guess by the name of their podcast that they are another Nick Cage based podcast and uh, (laughs) uh, they yeah they were really fun to talk to and it's a really interesting episode. It was recorded a while ago. And um, yeah, I'll obviously talk about stuff about that in the intro to next week's episode. But please do join us for that one. In the meantime, if you want to check out that movie uh, beforehand, you can do that really easily in the uh, UK and watch it on Amazon Prime. Uh as of yeah, at the moment, it's not streaming in the US. Again, if I've got that wrong, please let me know. But yeah, look forward to chatting to you next week and talking about Dog Eat Dog. As always, <laughs> I have been Petrus Passivus. I have been caged in. You have been amazing. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Bye. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Droop Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.